Beach Girls and the Monster. Starring John Hall, Sue Casey, and the glamorous Watusi dancing girls from Hollywood's famed Whiskey A Go-Go nightclub. Music by Frank Sinatra, Jr. You got a monster in the turf. Chicks, do you have a problem? You won't have after you meet the monster on the beach. If you see this ghoul, play it cool. Beauties in bikinis. Laughing, singing, surfing, sinning. Beach party lovers making hey hey in the moonlight while the monster waits and watches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one will kill you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very surprise ambush episode, which we're going to spend the next 26 hours discussing the Stone Man. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's that's an upcoming episode. Um, tonight's episode is a very special episode in that the movie we're about to discuss sucks. It has virtually no redeeming values other than some mild entertainment that comes mostly from just how cheap and schlocky it is. But it's noteworthy because of a theory I have that it might actually be the first modern slasher movie and has gone uncredited for far too long. So tonight, we're finally taking Black Christmas down a peg. It's time for Beach Girls and the Monster. Hello, and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was Scott Foy talking about the Beach Girls and the Monster, which is a uh, 1965 m- movie. Um, it's it's a horror film, I guess. It's It's got a monster. In it. I, I don't even know what it is. You know what? I don't even know how to start this intro. I, I don't know exactly how to set up exactly what's going on, because honestly, this week actually should have seen another episode of Hammer Pub going down, where, uh, you know, myself and co-host Paul Farrell have a few drinks and uh, talk about a Hammer film and basically provide a commentary. But, uh, well... Scott Foy reached out to me, and he, 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 he had an idea for an episode, and as it turned out, our guest actually had to push a week on Hammer Pub, so, uh, so it's just going to be myself and Scott talking about the Beach Girls and the Monster, but here's the thing, Paul Farrell is also along for the ride as well. Paul, could you tell everyone hello out there in Hi. listener land? I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm here along, as you said, for the ride that is the Beach Girls and the Monster, and I'm ready. So we've... So we've all, um, seen... I said right before we, as I said right before we began filming, it's like, wait, we need three people to discuss a 65-minute <laughs> movie with about 30 minutes. <laughs> okay, so for all of you people out there listening that were really high on that Shutter movie host last summer, and you were like, golly, isn't it great that there can be movies that are only like an hour? Well, no, not every movie that's just an hour is going to be great. Uh, that that short runtime can still pack in a lot of pain, let me tell you. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> 60, 65 minutes felt felt like two hours. It felt like a good solid two hours of uh, you know go go girls dancing on the beach and uh, you know repurposed surf footage and uh, a guy in a suit. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's just since the movie has virtually no plot, let's just. <laughs> Let's just recap the movie for the people who haven't seen it. All right, take it. What is, uh, what is the Beach Girls and the Monster about? Okay, it, it's about Beach Girls and a Monster. So, <laughs> That's it, accurate. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't get a whole lot more. To, the movie is only about 65 minutes long. 
But if you cut out all the scenes of surfing, uh, dancing on the beach, uh, walking on the beach, uh, partying on the beach, uh, walking to the beach to go swimming, but never actually getting in the water. Did you notice that was a kind of an interesting thing? No one actually yeah. seems to swim in the surf, but they do <laughs> swim in the swimming pool because there's also a scene where they, they, they decide, you know what? The beach water just isn't good enough for us. We're going to the swimming pool in the backyard. So if you cut all, oh, and also sitting around a campfire singing for no particular reason, and then just doing fourth wall breaking comedy, which also <laughs> with puppets, are, yes, with puppets, which I will get into because I have done some. Research. Um, if you cut all of that out of the movie, the movie would probably be thirty-five to forty minutes. It is not a plot-heavy movie, but it is about. Um, well, first of all, they don't waste any time. You see the monster literally in the opening credits. In fact, the opening credits appear over the monster as it jumped. <laughs> Apparently, it murdered the cameraman. We're not really sure what was happening there. And then we immediately go to the beach. It's a black and white movie. It's 1965. The beach movies, the you know, all like the beach blanket bingo, that was a big deal. Surfing movies were a big deal. Surf rock was a big deal. I, I guess go-go dancing on, was a big deal. There, there's a, a remarkable number of booty shots in this movie for a film from the 1960s. <laughs> and then, and then so this true. one girl just kind of wanders off and she finds a cave and then a monster just randomly comes out and I don't know how you describe the... De I mean, you, you can't really get super gory in a 1965 movie, although you, it would be fair to say this is a little bit bloodier than what you would expect from a 65 movie. Even, But it just kind of grabs her and it has her hold of her face and she screams and then she's just dead. Because apparently if you get clawed on the face, you die instantly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you guys a challenge. Describe the monster suit. Uh, well, it was clearly a uh, carnivorous South American fantigua fish. Very clearly. Yeah. Is, is it, what it was. Everyone could see that plain as day. Yes, and, and everyone knows the evolved fantigua fish uh, has a body that looks like it looks like a wetsuit with, with glued on scales and what appeared to be... Seaweed, I guess. The seaweed party streamers hanging from it. <laughs> uh, and the head is pulsating because clearly the person inside the costume is slowly suffocating to death. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. You, you look at this and your first thought is, you've got to be kidding me. Nobody yeah. really take this seriously as a monster. But then it turns out, as, as, and you know, spoiler alert. Yeah, right. It's been, what, 70 years? Spoiler alert. It's a guy in a suit killing people. So it's really kind of the whole movie really is just kind of like a Scooby-Doo villain taken to its psychopathic logical conclusion. So, <laughs> Very true. Kills a, yes. Kills a girl named Bunny. And then the cops show up to investigate. And the only thing they can figure out is like, well, she was clawed on the face and they found weird tracks in the surf, well, in the sand. So he goes immediately to an oceanographer, like all cops do when there's mysterious tracks <laughs> of the beach after a murder. And the cop is like, you know, I, I'm not sure what to make of this. And the and the um, John Hall, who directed the movie, and pro I think he's one of the producers of the movie, 
and he pretty much never worked again after this movie. He he was actually an actor with a long, illustrious career until this, and this was pretty much the end. After this, I think he's I think he's an uncredited co-director of like Navy versus the Night Monsters, like a year later. But like this was pretty much it. This was his first, his last. He'd been like a contract actor going back to like the 1930s. He'd been like in a bunch of like big big productions, lots of westerns. He was a longtime character actor. And then this happened, and and then uh, I believe he, unfortunately, like 1979 or so, got diagnosed with like incurable bladder cancer that was so painful he committed suicide. Oh, so, oh wow! So now that we're depressed, uh, <laughs> here's here's John Hall sitting there giving his theory that these scales match the 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 Fantigua fish which is noted for its ability to come on land and apparently walk upright and be six feet tall and, and weigh about 200 pounds. One of my favorite lines of dialogue in the movie, and I texted Paul about this because we were watching it at roughly the same time. I just texted him and <laughs> quoting, well, sir, it's not a claw print of any fish in the sea. Well, he, he was right. <laughs> So, uh, so, and the cop is, un- unlike the, the scientist, the cop is not a complete idiot. He's mostly useless, but he's not a complete idiot. And he's like, ah, I don't know about your uh, amphibious, uh, you know, evolved killer manfish theory there, Doc. I, I think this is just some maniac. Like, okay, fair. A- and then the doctor just launches into his tirade about how it had to be one of those surfer kids because all those kids on the beach are just a bunch of losers, hoodlums, and the girls are all tramps. Which, <laughs> at which, at which point the uh, the cop is basically like, you know what? Good day, sir. We'll talk later. I'm out of here. <laughs> and when that happened, I wrote in my notes, "Pretty sure this guy's the murderer." <laughs> I was yeah, like, it, exactly. I was like, I think they just answered the question of well, like, I mean, it's just so blatant. Well, I mean, to be fair, if you didn't you know, go into the movie knowing the monster's just going to be a guy in a suit. True. You might... <laughs> I figured that out in the first shot. I was like, okay, which guy's doing it? And then they cut to this dude who's just like, ah, they all deserve it. And you're like, okay. <laughs> I can't believe world-renowned oceanographer and fish doctor, <laughs> right. Dr. Lindsay, would have such a hateful talk. But, Seriously. but here's the other, the other thing about him that's also really weird is he is really creepily obsessed with his adult son, Richard. Yes. I mean, not only does he like obsess over every aspect of the man's life, he tells his, his like wife later on, it's like, I've spent my whole life like focusing entirely on him, <laughs> getting my son ready for like, he, he keeps, he keeps his son's actor's headshot in a frame on his desk <laughs> and just, and just glimpse at it longingly. It's just, at that point, you would hope, even if he's not the killer, there's still something very wrong with this man. And then yeah, we but... get introduced. Oh, god! No, you're fine. I, I was going to just launch into the stepmother, which I think you were about to uh, go into, which is insanity. Yes, the alcoholic stepmom who actually feels like she walked right out of like a 1940s noir private detective thing. She's right. always always got a drink in her hands. She clearly wants to bone the step her stepson, and, oh, yeah. and, the, and the stepson knows she's a drunken, lecherous gold digger and can't stand her. I was telling and Paul then, last night. I was like, you know, if there had been a remake of this movie in the mid '90s, surely 
Vicky, the stepmother, would have been played by like a Shannon Tweed type. <laughs> Julie Strain. <laughs> oh my God, totally Julie Strain. You're right. The late, the late great Julie Strain. You also find yourself wondering how did this woman and this 60 something oceanographer who lives in a very fancy beach house, I guess the ocean pays way more dividends than you'd expect. <laughs> Like, how did these two even ever get together? Because they seem to genuinely hate each other for most of the film. <laughs> yeah. except, except for the brief moment where he tries to reconcile with her. So, but, or for that matter, how did they even meet? But that, that's a whole, that's a prequel movie we'll never get. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I mean, I mean, at the first conversation he has, uh, Dr. Otto has with his wife is about his stepson. And he, I actually wrote down the line, before I met you, my only happiness was planning for my son. That's, that's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, here's one other quick question. Richard, the son, how old is he supposed to be? Uh, I was wondering that too, because he keeps talking about getting him ready for to work in the lab. Like as if, I mean, I got to think his... Twenties, I guess. I, I would have said anywhere between like twenty and thirty-five. Well, well, no, that's no because thirty-five is how old the actor looks. Um, but <laughs> yeah. they, they talk about yeah. It, this this is a movie where it's like, thank God they at least established that all of the teenagers are actually supposed to be in their twenties because they all look like they're in their thirties, yeah. except except for his friend Mark, who looks to be in his forties. We'll get to him in a minute. <laughs> But, yeah, but they established that he, he he says in this conversation that he's graduated from college. And then Dr. Otto mentions about you've been working with me in my lab for five years. So he's either 25 or 27, but he looks like he's about 30. So anyway, he has decided that there's more to life than test tubes and fish. And now all he wants to do is travel and surf and swim and travel and surf and swim that's all he ever talks about it's it's also kind of sad and pathetic yeah yeah so and that does not sit well with his with his dad who just wants him to be a professional who's going to make a good living and follow in his footsteps and and just not be like a bum like all of these beach bums and tramps and hoodlums and whatever he hangs out with which brings us to his friend mark Mark is clearly an actor in his 40s. The man has crow's nest on his feet. Sorry, crow's nest on his feet. What am I saying? Crow's nest on his eyes. You can see them in several scenes. I'll bet they're on his feet, too. Yeah, they're probably there, too. I mean, you see them (laughs) talking to each other. It's like you already have the 20-something who looks 30-something, and now he's talking to his 20-something friend who could have been playing his dad. Yeah. And, And apparently there was a car accident. I don't think they ever really give you much details of what the accident is, but this accident involved Richard and Mark, and this is why Richard now just wants to spend the next couple of years as a beach bum before he settles down on a life of marriage, children, and working in a lab for the rest of his days. And Mark apparently is now just a horny weirdo. He, he, he has a lump that comes and goes depending on the scene, and, they, they, and it comes and goes so much they have to constantly remind you he has a limp. Because he'll just stop and look down at his leg and hold it for a moment and then start walking with an even more exaggerated limp than he did a moment ago. 
and he makes creepy statues of his friends, and he's obsessed with the stepmom, Vicky, and he's the Red Herring. I mean, he his name should have just been Red Herring. <laughs> he, 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 he puts the moves on Vicky at one point, and she just looks at him and says, "Do you think I would make lo- I would ever make love to a cripple like you?" To which she then walks out of the room, and he immediately turns around and starts like like crushing the face of her statue while screaming repeatedly, "I could kill you." <laughs> Little heavy-handed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's also weird when you look back on the movie. He's the most well-developed character. Everyone yeah. else kind of there. He actually has something going on. Like, like Richard has a girlfriend named Janie. And that's the extent of what she's a girlfriend. And her name is Janie. <laughs> that's, that's all there is to her. And also, when she goes swimming, she puts a beehive on her head. It's bizarre. That scene in the swimming pool where it's like she's wearing basically wearing a bikini. But then all of a sudden she puts to protect her hair by putting on something that just, I don't even, a swim, a, a swim cap that looked like, how would you even describe that thing? It was gigantic. <laughs> I think beehive is, is the best description. <laughs> That's oh, what I it mean, looks like. Isn't, isn't that just what the 60s was, man? Like that, just... seems more, that's, that seems more like the 40s. That seems like something out, something out of, Esther Williams couldn't have put that thing on her head because it would have worked her down and she'd have drowned. <laughs> I forgot about the most crucial scene of the movie. The scene where they talk about how much they want they love surfing. And because I guess they couldn't afford to actually film surfing scenes or because they just didn't have time or maybe it was a last minute addition to pad out the movie because it was already barely an hour long, they just break out a projector and spend like 3 4 straight minutes just watching surfing surf video just watching a surf movie on a projector on the wall and then when it's over they're like wow that was great like uh, okay that was awkward (laughs) yeah it was just like go ahead oh it was just like b-roll footage of surfing that i read was shot by some like prolific surfer that produced other films and and i just think it's hilarious they just found this oh this is cool surfing footage let's put this in here to pen out the runtime and it's just irrelevant to everything that's going on it's not even like they worked it into the story like no hey, we're, gonna, we're gonna pretend this is richard out surfing right no, yeah they're just watch. it would be it's like the old like the old like movies from, like the serials it's like working like actual nature footage from, yeah like, the jungle yeah. and then you just cut to what's obviously just actual nature stock footage only in that case it would be like what if you had these adventurers out in the jungle and then they just broke out a projector and a screen and just started watching <laughs> footage of monkeys <laughs> it, it's so bizarre oh god okay so so now we've established our red herring and that they really like surfing and that then 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 things just take a horrifying turn because we end up at a beach party and Richard breaks out his guitar and starts singing this god-awful song. It's much more than Loving You, which sounds like something Don Ho would be performing if he was in a Roy Rogers Western. And we get that song in its entirety, and no one deserves that. Yeah, I I feel like I... The whole movie is nothing but padding, as we've talked about, but the problem with you, Foy... Is the problem that I've mentioned on every appearance that you've ever made on this show before, which is that 
I just watched the movie last night. I know that it's a bad film. And yet I listen to you describe it, and it actually sounds like... I, I'm, I'm hearing you describe it, and I'm like, oh, that actually sounds like it could be a lot of fun in its own way. Maybe I should pop that on top. No! 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 He will not fool me again! Well, first of all, that's on you. Third. <laughs> okay, okay, but now, at this point, I think we're about 30 minutes into the movie. And, yeah, I think we are. Oh, before we get to the beach party scene, we should also mention there's also just random... When I mention the movie's cheap, it has very limited locations. You have a beach, you have a beach house, and you have sand and a walkway from a house to a beach and a basement inside the beach house. And yeah, there's basically like, oh, and a cliff. That's it. That's the, that's the movie. They literally shot it at, I think, a friend of the producer's house, from what I read. I was going to say, so, as houses go, it was, it was. I mean, I would live there. It was kind of so cool. We, yeah, so again, if we're spoiling things, our, our killer is Dr. Otto Lindsay, who is apparently randomly murdering girls and guys on the beach who are friends and acquaintances of his son. For reasons that are somehow supposed to convince his son to either get back in the lab and focus on his career or just because he just really, really hates teenagers. We're not entirely certain on that. But that would mean his and his plan to get away with this is to dress like a sea monster from like Creature from the Black Lagoon movie. Go down, put this costume on, waddle down to the beach find, corner some random person alone just long enough to claw their face with the Freddy claws of the creature, and then wander back up, up to the house unnoticed, and nobody finds it strange that all of these murders seem to be happening within walking distance of Dr. Otto's house. <clears throat> so, now that we've established some strangeness, let's talk about Kinsey the Lion. Because now we have a beach party, and after uh, Richard makes our ears bleed, we segue right into a comedy routine featuring the weirdest ventriloquist act I think I've ever seen. Yeah. The is literally a lion head. There's no body. <laughs> it looks like a mask, but you can move the mouth. And the guy working the puppet is wearing a fake beard so that you don't see his lips move, because apparently he's not a very good ventriloquist. And he's also wearing sunglasses with a fake beard, so he looks like like a like a, a it's like a comedy routine where someone's in disguise. Which of course it is a comedy routine. Apparently, in real life, this guy was uh, a puppeteer for some children's show in L.A. And Kinsey the Lion was one of his characters. So I'm assuming he was probably used to just like hiding behind a podium or a, a wall or something, a stage, kind of like you know, like the puppets on Mister Rogers. So they sing the song Monster in the Surf, which apparently doesn't have many lyrics, which is doesn't matter anyway, because somehow everybody knows the song that they're making up on the spot so they can sing along. Which also gets very strange because then it just they just start doing shtick, like comedy stuff. And like one of them pulls out a gun and it shoots out a flag that says bang. And then another one pulls out a bow and arrow 
and shoots it at someone. And then we just cut to that person with like the fake arrow through the head routine. Or maybe it was a real arrow and he murdered that guy on the beach and nobody cared. I'm not really sure. It just It's like they're breaking the fourth wall to do comedy shenanigans. And at that moment afterwards, they all decide to go get in the surf. Except for Kinsey and the puppeteer. He just vanishes. I guess he was done for the day. They didn't pay him enough to stick around. So everybody heads out. It's nighttime. They head out to the beach. And then our, our, our Fantigua fish killer decides... Earlier, there was like two. It was like a guy and a girl who like broke off from the group to basically like in a horror, like a slasher movie, have sex on the beach, and he just decides to spy on them rather than kill them. So I don't know why he decided to let them live, other than he just was enjoying what he was seeing. But he does decide to just like walk right out to the campfire and just randomly attack a guy named Tom, who was the only one who hadn't gone in the water yet, and. Tom's dead, and the one person who witnessed this is Mark, who was doing his nightly limping on the beach routine for whatever reason. And now everybody thinks Mark's the killer, and nobody wants to believe him when he says, no, no, it was a monster. Which also, by the way, probably the wrong thing to tell the cops. Nobody ever, nobody ever goes with the assumption like, hey, did you see that thing? It must have been a guy in a costume. Nope, they go right to, it was a sea monster, and it killed Tom. Now, if you think about it, that was kind of the reverse Jaws kill. Everybody who went in the water lived. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So, so, and now we cut back up to the house, and it, after all this time, the monster, uh, Vicky, uh, it's her turn, the stepmom, it's time for her to die. She finds a romantic note, which she, I believe it was supposed to, she thought it was from Richard to, like, come meet her upstairs. And when she comes upstairs, like, there's a monster that claws her to death. So at that point, you have to assume it has to be a guy in a costume because otherwise, how did it get in the house? And how did it get upstairs? And how did it write her a note to trick her into coming? That's something you don't normally see. <laughs> the creature from the Black Lagoon never left love notes for the girl to trick her into getting in the water. <laughs> it, also, it also should be noted there was a scene earlier we're Vicky, a long scene where we just watch Vicky walking down to the beach to go swimming without ever actually getting in the water. And, and our monster killer in the costume is literally right behind her within inches of killing her and decides not to again. And it's like, <laughs> why? Why did he do that? Why did he just kill her? And how did she not notice there was somebody like <laughs> that close to her in broad daylight? <laughs> Ugh, this fucking movie. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I said that so many times while I was watching. <laughs> uh, where are we now? You know, the funny thing is, is I, I'm actually making this movie also seem like it has way more plot than it really you are. Does. Yeah, you really are. It, it sounds like there's a there's a movie there when in all reality, the, the whole time I was watching, I just kept thinking, like, how much of this is actual movie? Because so much of it just feels like random cutaway scenes that could be anything else but a movie <laughs> yes oh by, by, by the way something i forgot to mention when the cops show up for the uh the, the guy who was killed on the at the beach party and, and they accuse mark of being the killer and they want to take him in uh limpy suddenly takes off into the night and is somehow able to outrun the cops who of course it's easy to get away when the cops just stand there and watch you limp off into the night 
except for the one who just pulls out his gun and fires about a half dozen rounds into the darkness. He could have killed so many people. <laughs> so, so okay. So now Mark has fled. Vicky's dead. And Richard and Janie are just like, you know, I, I just, I, I don't think Mark is the kind of person who would like claw a random person to death at a beach party. Oh God. You, oh, you know what? What if I what if I wander into this drain pipe for a minute and a half to see if I find any evidence of nothing? What was that? Can, some, can either of you explain to me that scene where he climbs into the drain pipe and then just comes out like, well, it was worth a shot? <laughs> I think by that point in the movie, you're asking too much from that movie. Yeah. Just just let it happen. They they wanted to build a set <laughs> piece and that's what they that's what they yeah. that's it's what almost they got. Like- it's, it's like, did he say to himself, hey, a drain pipe, this could be a monster's lair. Let me go in by myself, just in case. And then he just comes out like, nope, that wasn't it. I now, really wish there had been a completely different monster inside of that damn drain pipe. Could you imagine? I want to see that movie. I want to see the movie where the actual honest-to-God sea monster rises up from the sea, ready to seek out victims, and he sees some jackass in a poorly made suit and is just kind of like, nah, fuck it. I'm just, this is, this town's not for me. Back to the ocean I go. Or maybe, or maybe he decides to mate and we really do get a yeah, fuck it scene. That'd be a double <laughs> <twist>. <laughs> Okay. So Mark is on the, I'm about to say he's on the run. Mark is limping away from the cops. He's now the prime suspect in a murder and no one believes him about his story that he's seen a, a, a homicidal fish man on the loose. And he's trying to lay low from the cops. Where would you go? Oh, that's right. I forgot. We only have one set. So he goes back to the beach house that belongs to the doctor. Why? I don't know. But he's just wandering around the house when all of a sudden he just happens to come across the mask. Oh, my God. This is exactly the same head that I saw on the, uh, on the thing that killed my friend Tom that I'm now blamed for. And he just sits there fumbling with this mask like... Like a person who's never seen a Halloween mask before and doesn't understand how this technology works. Because he's just <laughs> looking at it, and he's like examining it, and he's like turning it upside down, and he's like yeah, sticking his fingers in it, and just like, what, what are you doing? And you realize he's just buying time because the door behind him opens up, and out comes the fish man. I guess, I guess the doctor had a backup head. So, so Yeah, what like, is the deal with that? When he comes out, he has a head, but like at a certain point, it's quickly discarded, I guess, in the ensuing scuffle between them, but... Yes. Yes. Words you never hear... Words you rarely ever hear in a uh, in a monster movie. Um, so, the man and the monster got into a shoving match in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. They, so, they have this sumo wrestling match in the kitchen, and, and the monster manages to do its patented uh, iron face clawing to death, but Mark manages to grab a kitchen steak knife and stabs the monster in the abdomen and then pulls off the mask, revealing it's, hey, it's Dr. Otto, who now with the mask off looks absolutely ridiculous. He looks like some sort of children's show mascot. (laughs) And the actor's been caught in between takes with no head on. (laughs) It's a grown man wearing this fish costume which with seaweed streamers and, like, claw hands. And then, for some reason, Richard and Janie just walk into the kitchen. Like, 
where did they come from? Just in time to go, Dad! And then Dad runs out, and apparently, and we're, I'm still not sure how he did this, he steals Janie's car. How did he get the keys? Did he hotwire it with the claws? What did he do? He's it was 1965. People didn't lock their doors. I'm guessing they left their keys in the ignition. First of all, it wouldn't matter about locking the door. That It's like an MG convertible. Like, why does this... Yeah, they even go out of their way to establish at one point that this is Vicky's car. Like, it's <laughs> like it matters. So, uh, so anyway, so uh, Mark dies... With a with a rubber mask in his hand, I guess satisfied in knowing his innocence. I, I don't know. Sorry, the creepy curvy sculptor is now dead. So it's now up to Richard and Janie to do absolutely fucking nothing for the remainder of the movie. They <laughs> run out. All of a sudden, their sirens blasting, and the sheriff comes pulling up, careening careening to the house with the sirens blasting, and jumps out. And it's like, why? Why did you come here? Nobody called you. You had no reason to go to this house. You had no reason to suspect anything. It's like, because it was required. And they decide they're going to put out an APP on a, a man in a fish monster costume driving 200 miles per hour through the uh, canyon hills of Malibu <laughs> in a stolen sports car. And for the next several minutes, it, the, the, all the whole chase scene, every car movie, every car scene in this movie is done with rear projection. I'm not sure there's a single scene where anybody's in a car that actually looks like they're driving down a road. But in this scene, the way they're showing them, like you keep seeing the barricades of the curves that they're going, it feels like one of those old motion rides. Because you just keep seeing this. this. This whole chase scene goes on for like four, the last four minutes of the movie. And in the middle of all this, when the sheriff and Janie and Richard are in the car, one of the other police cars, which they're not even in the pursuit. They're so far behind. They've missed out on this. They're just they're, they're pulling up the rear. Uh, Richard's like, I don't, I don't understand. Why would my dad do this? And the sheriff's like, he thinks he was doing it for you, son. It's like, wait, the sheriff just had to give the motive based on one conversation that happened to be. <laughs> Why would you do this? <laughs> So anyway, none of that matters because uh, Dad's uh, knife wound causes him to lose control of the car, and then his toy car goes over the cliff and explodes. And and then the cop car pulls up, and and Dad and J- uh, sorry, uh, Richard and Janie jump out with the sheriff, and they all look down, and Janie doesn't seem to be the least bit upset that her car is now just a mangled, flaming wreckage at the bottom of a canyon. And Richard wants to go down. I, I, I got to get down there. And like, no, son, there's nothing you can do. Your, your dad's dead. You couldn't even get close to that wreckage. And then the end comes on the screen and it's over. That's it. <laughs> it's just over. And that is Beach Girls and the Monster. Which, I which, do. I think I, it took me about as much time to explain the plot as there is actual plot scenes in the movie. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> And I do and, really wish now that you said it that, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the poor guy had been, you know, sort of like looking over the hill at his father burning to death inside of the wreckage of that vehicle. I wish Janie had just thrown out a quick, uh, oh, no, my car. Like <laughs> just, you know, just. <laughs> I will say one she thing. She had just said like really quietly, that was a lease. 
<laughs> no, I do. I, I, there is one cool thing, one thing that I genuinely, unironically loved about the movie. I do love the moment, just the sight of him in the convertible racing away wearing the costume but without the head like that is a great great image and a great moment i out of it was worth the 65 minutes i spent watching the movie just to see that moment yes it was like watching a scooby-doo villain making (laughs) a getaway fast and furious movie it was really really stupid looking (laughs) and it Oh, I forgot to mention something when I was recapping the plot. Um, how many scenes would you say there were in the film between Richard and his dad arguing over his life and getting back to work? I, I would say six. <laughs> it seemed like that was the go-to every time they needed to pad out the film and they didn't have anyone to dance on the beach. It's like Richard and dad or dad and the, and the, uh, the, the, the trophy stepmom just arguing that that's most of the movie so anyway so i gotta ask how is it that you first ran across this movie why why this movie why chat the beach girls and the monster okay well um i actually think i saw it the first time when i was a kid airing on like some like syndicated thing because i have a very vague memory of this movie when i was very very young and I think it was on. I think on TV they ran it under the title um, "Monster in the Surf." That's a better title. Yeah, uh, and then yes, yes, it, yes, it is. That, but it's also not as accurate as "Beach Girls and the Monster." <laughs> Very true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and I, it was one of those movies, like like you said, it it kind of sucks. It's it's not there. It's not very good. Um, about the most but memorable about it, but, wait, 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 the most memorable thing about it is that sh- shot of like the guy in the costume making his getaway. But and but the thing that made me think about it was like it was one of those movies where like I came across it on YouTube for some reason, like uploaded on YouTube because the movie's never I, the movie was put out on DVD and the DVD is like so out of print now it, it's kind of expensive and this really ain't worth it. And uh, I don't think it's on any streaming services at the moment. So I remember watching it on just out of just out of curiosity. It's like, all right, it's sixty-five minutes. I'll put it on, and I, I had that kind of thing where it's like I was half paying attention to it because there's not a whole lot going on. <clears throat> but the longer it went on, and it, and knowing that the ending was already going to be like it's a guy in a costume, something started to like hit me as I was watching this. This movie was made in nineteen sixty-five, but it hits so many of the tropes of what we kind of regard as like the 1980s slasher movies. But this is, again, 1965. If you look at the slasher movie era, the first one that people usually give credit to is Black Christmas. Halloween kind of made it a thing, and Friday the 13th success is what spawned a billion imitators. And yet, here's this movie about a guy in a fish costume slashing up teenagers, well, 20, 30-somethings, I don't know, it's like, but let's put it this way. I have a list here of a bunch of like 1980s slasher movie tropes. Let's run down this list real quick and see how many of these boxes are checked by Beach Girls and the Monster. All right. Uh, 
police are useless. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cop, the cops are, yeah the, yeah, the cops are used, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, he, the only time the cops do anything in this movie, it's the chase scene. And he just kind of lost control of the car on his own. Yeah. In fact, in fact, he was already driving like a maniac before the cops started chasing him. Okay, uh, at least one victim is an asshole. That's, eh, that would re- the problem is that would require the characters to have personalities. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, we we don't know enough although, about them. They might although, be assholes. Although in a way, Mark was Mark was the red herring was a creepy weirdo. Yeah, true. <laughs> was, so he that we'll, we'll give him half credit on that one. Uh, at some point, there's a barrier busting blow where the killer gets knocked through a something. I'm like, well, he does crash through a barrier and blow up his car. Yeah. Uh, the black dude, by the black dude or the gay character dies first. Well, this was 1965. There was no black or gay guys. In, yeah, there's no, there's no. These are the whitest people you'll ever see, evidenced by that party sing along. Oh god! Uh, the, the killer with the full mask. Okay, kinda. It's a mask killer. I mean, that's a unique mm-hmm. one. You're dressed as a gill man. Uh, at least one scene takes place in a creepy basement or attic or cave. It's like, well, there is kind of a cave scene at the beginning, and there is kind of a darkened basement, so partial credit. Uh, at least one death in the movie comes via a cruel and unusual manner. Uh, I don't know. Which one? At least, well, no, I'm just saying this is one of the tropes is that at least one death in the, in the movie uh, could be described as cruel and unusual. Like, mm. first, of all, first of all, isn't every kill in a slasher movie cruel and unusual? Sure, yeah. Being, being slashed in the face from a yeah. weird creature from a cave is kind of cruel and unusual, I'd say. <laughs> okay, dark secret. At least one of the characters in the film has a, has a dark secret that ties into why the killer is on the rampage. Not really. Uh, although, in a weird way, you could, you could almost kind of say that the whole the mysterious car accident that sped into yeah, bit. that's what I was thinking. There is some weird, like the weird backstory they kind of bake into the movie that they never fully explain. Uh, yeah, feels like a dark secret in a way, but we also know a lot about it but we don't know i mean the fact that he lets mark live with him and won't let him go makes it seem like he thinks it's entirely his fault so i don't know if he was drinking or i don't know i think there was one line where they said something about hot rodding because because it it is with they constantly allude to the sting but they never really dwell on it too much It's, it's a little strange that like whatever happened Richard is just like I just want to go have fun now with my life. It made me, and meanwhile the other guys like I'm a fucking cripple, and this and my friend won't let me do anything. <laughs> this is the sixties. He just wants to sculpt, you know. He where wants the to make hell, his sculptures. Where the hell were the hot rodding scenes? You got you got a car chase at the end. What more do you want? Yeah. Nah. I mean. It, it, the, the, the scenes at the end were just like guys like pretending to like hear cars while in front of a rear projection video. <laughs> uh, 
let's see, a deadly prank that's, uh, no, there was no deadly prank that leads to, like, a catalyst for the killer. Uh, let's see, uh, death by sex. If you have sex in one of these movies, rest assured that you will die horrifically. Kind of. Yeah, kind of, although, although it is interesting, he, the, the one couple that appears to actually be having sex, he just ignores. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think, you know, Vicky, I think, kind of has that base covered in a way. I mean, for 1965, that's about as close as, you know, a uh, promiscuous well, yeah. best friend as we're going to get. Well, our killer already thinks that every single female is a whore in this movie anyway, so... Uh... They developing doomed characters. Well, Mark. <laughs> I mean, it's a 65-minute movie that only has about maybe 35 to 40 minutes of actual story. And in that time, only four people, let's see, the killer, it kills the girl bunny at the beginning. It kills, uh, it, it kills uh, that guy, I think his name was Tom on the beach. Kills Vicky and kills Mark. So that's only four victims in 40 minutes total of story. And two of them are actually developed. So sort of, okay, we'll give them that one. Uh, don't go in the woods or the summer camp. Like, no, that there's no woods or summer camp, but the beach kind of counts as a special location. So we'll give them that one. Uh, let's see. Um, everyone is a suspect in a movie where the killer's identity is. A, no, there, there's only two suspects. <laughs> That's it. Uh, let's see. Final girl? Uh, well, no, not in this movie. There, There is a final girl, but she doesn't really have anything to do really at any point in the movie. <laughs> She's just the girlfriend who's there. I feel like I'm hearing in real time you talking yourself out of your own theory. <laughs> oh, no, because no, we're, we're about to hit the ones that actually kind of fit. Uh, gore. Is there gore in the, to these kills? Well, like I Ooh. said before, yeah, the, 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 you see a little bit of like some like blood on the face and some scarring, which is more than you saw in a lot of like nineteen fifties and sixties monster movies. It was a little upsetting in a way, like especially the uh, the opening kill, not the opening kill, but I guess like the second attack, as it were. Um, it was a little upsetting with like the the blood on the face, and especially Mark, like that yeah. reveal when they run into the kitchen. I was yeah. like, it felt wrong because of the black and white, because it's so firmly set in the mid sixties, and yet I'm seeing blood portrayed in a way that you're just not used to for the the movies of that time period. It just, it was unsettling in a weird way. Yeah. The killer has a menacing stroll. Well, <laughs> when you're dressed like a monster, <laughs> you kind of don't have, yeah, he definitely had, that was one thing I could never understand. It's like, you're just a guy in a costume plotting to murder teenagers while dressed in a a, a monster suit with claws why are you lurching and walking bow-legged? That he's done, yeah, he's definitely got a uh, a menacing stroll. Uh, men are the more expendable gender. Male deaths are usually sudden and without struggle. It's incredibly rare to have a chase scene with a male character. Eh, not really, because Mark's the only one who puts up a fight. Only because Mark's the only male character that actually has any kind of a character. <laughs> Uh, monster misogyny, the other side of the coin. While men can die in these movies, the fatal, the favorite victims of many slasher killers are women. Well, I think that's a definite yes. This guy really did not like women. <laughs> uh, my car hates me. 
if you're running from the killer, expect your car to let you down at the worst possible time. Well, no, but the car did hate the killer. It killed him. <laughs> so partial credit. <laughs> <laughs> partial credit seems fair. <laughs> Not quite dead. If a slasher movie goes into sequels, oh, we can move on past that one. No, that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> something gets decapitated. Well, no, but they do rip a, a, the monster's head off. <laughs> I would like to think that that's why Mark was so confused. He didn't recognize it as a mask. He perhaps thought it was the creature's head. <laughs> well, Mark was probably, you know what, now I have to think about it. Mark was a sculptor, so what, that whole scene where he's like mystified by this thing, he was probably thinking, my God, what a beautiful piece of art. How did he do this? Let me construct this. I want to make one of these. There's this monster. <laughs> Pose for me. Oh my god, do you think that's another potential red herring in the movie? The fact that he was a sculptor? Are we meant to think that maybe he created the costume? Maybe. But if you think about the the thing that's really weird is they clearly set Mark up to be a red herring, even though they're still trying to make you think from up until like the end of the movie that it's a that it really is a monster. It's kind of oddly constructed. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Let's see, where am I here? Um, uh, the 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 killer seems to have teleportation powers and can get from here to there. Yes, we're going to have to give him that one because somehow he keeps getting up and down from his house to the beach in that costume unseen. <laughs> That's something you're going to notice, especially because. All but one of the kills, let's see, the first kill happens in broad daylight. The second one happens at night. But we, there's several scenes where you see him lurking and spying on people and preparing to, to uh, like he's going to kill someone. The last two were in a house. Yeah, you kind of got to give him that one a little bit. Uh, reactionary fantasy. Many 80s slasher movies underneath all the R-rated bloodshed and raunchiness had a very socially conservative view of teenage culture, especially when it comes to partying, doing drugs, drinking, rock music, and sex. Well, that's basically the entire motivation for the killer. <laughs> you kind of got to give them that one. Yeah. Uh, uh, before the main, before anyone in the main, any of the main characters gets it, several minor and usually unnamed characters will get it early on. Well, they had names, and that was all there was to their characters. They were Bunny and Tom. That was it. So that's a yes. Uh, the reveal is usually recoupled with the unmasking of the killer to re- to show us the true identity of a character we've already. St- yes, that's a yes. Uh, most of the killers of these movies are on a vendetta of some sort. Well, kinda, yeah. Um, stealth kills. The killer is somehow uniquely capable of sneaking up on people who should otherwise be aware that someone's about to kill them. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the surviving pr- protagonists generally don't get any reward for their trials. Oftentimes, their victories over the killers are completely undone in sequels. And it, well, not really. Well, there's no sequel here, but. Yeah, there's no reward. Vicky's car is destroyed. Richard's dad is dead, and they just stand there staring at the flaming wreckage. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, too dumb to live. Some victims just might not be particularly savvy. Well, yeah, I think pretty much everyone ex- except for... Yeah, they're all dumb. They're all idiots. They all... <laughs> 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 you know, 
stupidity is one of their greatest one of their greatest uh, the villain protagonist of the film is generally the center of the story well yeah it's a, because everybody thinks it's a monster <laughs> and and the and the uh, the killer turns out to be the dad who is constantly on screen complaining about those damn kids and his whore of a wife <laughs> Uh, most of the killers rarely talk, if ever. Well, that's kind of true because he he never talks when he's when he's in the costume. You can't shut him up when he's out of the costume. And if you and I don't think he ever said one word when he got his head knocked off and he was just running around in the costume driving to his death. I um, wish he had growled a little from time to time, but just badly, you know, like <laughs> not not even like to the point where you could tell it was a guy. Yeah. And I wish it had continued long past the point that he got his head knocked off. Can you imagine him behind the wheel, racing down towards certain doom, but along the way, just, erg, arg. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it, too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't for my damn kid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, 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 the ending of this movie is basically how a Scooby-Doo episode should have really ended. They pull right. the mask off the monster, it makes a getaway in the car, they give Chase in the mystery machine, and then it just goes off the side of a hill and dies in a flaming explosion. Uh, actually, what would be really great is when they burst into the kitchen, the first words out of uh, Richard's mouth are, Dad! Just to give Janie something to do, and because she, they might have, she just should have yelled out like, Oh my God, that Fantigua fish looks just like your father! <laughs> <laughs> and, as we, and as we get down to the last two tropes here, the the slasher has a particular weapon of choice. Well, yeah, he's he's got his fish claws. Yeah, and, and then finally, and this one almost like yeah, this is an, an absolute yes. Wild teen parties make up a, a large segment of the a large chunk of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, more. So there is there is an argument to be made. That this sixty-five-minute pile of virtual nothingness could very well be the prototype for the modern, the modern-day slasher movie, which gets no has never gotten any credit whatsoever, probably because nobody actually watched this movie before they made a slasher movie. I was going to say, I, do, do do you think it did directly inspire, or do you think it's purely uh, coincidental? Um, I, I would just, not a chance in hell. Um, yeah, that would be my answer. Yeah, it's, it's purely coincidental, which actually is what kind of makes it kind of amusing. Because even, look at this movie that really has, it, it has a modicum of B-movie charm to it. A modicum. Because mm-hmm. like, like most of the movie, it's just nothing going on. But then you have these weird tropes that it's hitting on, that all fit a genre of film less in common with the monster movies of that era and more in common with the slasher movies that were still at least about 15 years away. So so you're I, saying, I, like, in that canon, like, when it comes to proto-slashers, like, you, you, you want to say, like, 13 Women, Psycho, Black Christmas, The Beach Girls and the Monster. Yeah. Yes. Give give Beach Girls a do on that front because there's not much else you can give it do for. 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, look, if you want an idea how forgotten this movie is, it's like, if you, like, take any B-movie from, like, the 50s or 60s, you can go on YouTube and just find, like, a bunch of reviews for it. You'll find very few for this. If you go on, I mean, if you just go looking for any, like, there's never been, for some reason, no one ever said to themselves, you know what, we should make a model kit or an action figure based on the monster from Beach Girls and the Monster. Well, <laughs> no they one... should. Yeah. I, I would be, they need to make a, a Kingsley the Lion puppet that you can buy. What if they made a Beach Girls and the Monster figure where you can turn, take the, the, the mask off and reveal dad and he comes with his own Barbie dream car. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and then just to make things really interesting, as a bonus, you can take Dad's head off and put the Kingsley puppet so they have the head on top. Ball <laughs> is in your court, Mecca. Yeah, yeah, this needs to happen. I, well, and I do think, you know, you know, it, maybe someday we could get an Arrow four-disc uh, Beach Girls and the Monster special edition, and then all of film Twitter can reevaluate it. We need the con and, cut. And... <laughs> <laughs> yes, the uh, we'll take it from 70 minutes to the 210-minute uh, con cut of Beach Girls now, and the Monster, where we... One... <laughs> That's the booty shaking. <laughs> right, right. They they added in that extra fifty minutes of cut out dance footage <laughs> that it's missing. The original the original version <laughs> took place in real time. <laughs> there's now an extended yeah, there's now an extended version of the scene where he sculpts Vicky for <laughs> yeah. for ten minutes. The, yeah. the sad the sad thing is if that came out every, everyone would buy it. <laughs> They'd pay fifty bucks for it, Paul. Paul, <laughs> let's not bullshit ourselves here, man. You and I both would buy. Don't it. even say it, Jigs. Don't even say it. I don't want to think about it. You and I, <laughs> you and I would hit up Ronan Flicks after complaining oh, about God. there being a sixty dollar version yeah, of the damn thing. When we a twenty dollar well, first, we'd get drunk, film. then we'd buy it. <laughs> well, yes, it's indeed. But you know what? I'm. I would uh, afterwards. I would probably still be pretty pleased with my purchase because. You know what? I, I I do, Foy. I do like your theory. I think your theory is very cool. I love that there's this kind of hidden movie out there that does predate all of those tropes that you mentioned. I mean, it, it watching it, I was like, holy shit, he's kind of right. Especially when you get to the last fifteen minutes, it's like, fuck, this does kind of feel like an early proto slasher. That's kind of cool. And on top of that, even though the movie is not great, and even though the movie is not good even. I will say it's not a painful watch of a movie. It's not the Stone Man. It's not like torture. I I, I was amused the entire time. I had fun watching this movie. So I would I would I would shell out some cash for a Blu-ray. I'm just throwing that out there. Didn't you just say it was torture at the beginning of this show? <laughs> that, was, I, that was before he we had before Rick the... Uh, or no, 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 no. Well, yeah, it's that's the thing with Foy is that he wins you over on these movies. Now, I guarantee you, in my mind now, I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that is a fun movie. Here, if I was to watch point. it right after this, I would be like, son of a bitch, you did it again. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say, I apparently have used my my, my Vulcan B movie mind meld on you to like describe <laughs> the movie, and make it, you're like, you know what, Foy, okay. I was wrong. 
but, but <laughs> I will say, in, in, in my defense, honestly, I get no small amount of fun giving you hell, Foy, for some of these movies. It's it's just a carryover from the Stone Man, truthfully. Uh, in all honesty, like I did, it, it it's a it's. I love that it exists. I don't know that I would actually ever watch it again, but I'm glad to have seen it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So here's the, it's it's 65 minutes long, and it just I mean yeah it pads itself out. You can, you can very easily just kind of like. If you have like, if you're like, have one of those functions like skip ahead ten seconds, you could get through this movie rather quickly. As soon as somebody starts to dance, just, just boom, boom, skip. boom. Yeah, that, that was my takeaway. I I had a lot of fun watching it because of you know the B movie charm in some ways. I mean, yeah, the 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 pad uh, the padding sometimes got a little bit uh, much in terms of that. But I one thing I enjoyed about it, and you you touched on this earlier, was just the the odd tonal shifts like you know you watch a beach movie with you know the dancing and the teens partying and stuff and you just don't expect it to suddenly transition to a girl is murdered and there's these claw marks on her face like like i actually sort of appreciated the the darkness juxtaposed against the the fluffiness um throughout the film and i think that really kind of pays off at the end, um, because I found the ending to be like pretty engaging, all things considered, you know. So I, I, I think it does offer something in that level. What if it had get... been like at the level of a Frankie and Annette movie back then? What if it had actually had a budget and some decent filmmakers behind it? Like, uh, you know, I, 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 I just wonder what people would have made of it. Imagine a movie opening at that level, like something that people might have flocked to back then. I can't imagine, but I know that surfing movies were kind of the thing at a certain point in a small period of time. Um, so I, I, I just wonder what people might have made. I've always been fascinated by the idea that you could market a movie as being one thing and then get people, you know, get asses in seats and then sucker punch them with something completely different. Uh, I've never seen it happen, but I hold out hope. Well, and I think you could have all- done it with it. Well, first of all, this movie was clearly made for the sole purpose of being on a drive-in, probably as the second half of a feature, by which point the teenagers in the car are just in full mating mode, and they'll look up every so often to go, hey, is that a monster? All right, back to sex. I mean, that's basically what's <laughs> going to be going on there. It also feels like a movie that was made by people who like, we know what's popular right now. How do we cram it all into one movie? Surfing movies are big. We got to have some surfing footage. Beach movies, we got to have some beach parties. Who doesn't like seeing girls in bikinis go-go dancing? That's going to be in there. Monster movies, well, they're kind of passe by 65 to a certain extent, but what the hell? Especially since it's not actually going to be a monster. It's going to be a a guy in a suit who's committing murders. So it's just, it's a whole bunch. And then, then you just have like the random antics of like, it's just, and then the melodrama. It's just, it's just, it's like seven different genres smashed together to, to make a movie that's designed to be as cheap as possible to fill out some time on a drive-in <laughs> movie screen. It, yeah, you asked the question, what would it look like if they actually had more of a budget? I believe that movie exists. It was called The Horror of Party Beach. Now imagine what you're implying there when you say that's the movie with the budget. <laughs> I've never yeah. seen that movie, admittedly. Wow. 
Okay. Yeah. I know. Uh, well, uh, yeah, and and this movie, yeah, I don't think we're ever I, going. To... Am I missing out? It's a better movie than this. It's entertaining. It's goofy as hell. It's basically that movie is basically the the monsters are, as they come. You come to find out are zombies. They're just zombies that have taken the form of these fish creatures. And that and seems they... really, really ambitious for zombies to have done. Yeah. Yes, and the only thing that can kill them is uh, sodium. So, <laughs> don't look at me. I think, don't, don't, uh, don't I think that one's actually got a nice Blu-ray. I think Severin put that out. Yeah, it's, it's on Blu-ray. It was on MS Mystery Science Theater three thousand. They did an amusing episode. Monsters have these weird mouths where that look like they're like stuffed with like green rubbery pickles. Not really sure how they feed. There's yeah, there's singing. Oh, we we forgot to mention. We forgot to mention the opening song that's featured frequently throughout Beach Girls and the Monster. The surf rock music is performed by Frank Sinatra Jr. In a, another explanation for why he never became as big a deal as his dad. Yeah. Oh. And and to answer your question about, I don't think we're ever going to see like a three disc set from anybody of this movie. Maybe somebody will put out a Blu-ray one day, but. This seems more like the kind of movie that's going to like appear at like two or three o'clock in the morning on the Fox Film Channel, <laughs> like like uh, John Agar's Hand of Death. Which seriously, if if you have the Fox Movie Channel, turn the channel over there about two, three, four o'clock in the morning. There's about a seventy-five percent chance they'll be running Hand of Death. I usually get it in from work right about that time, and if I turn on, I, I do it now. I just turn it on. They're like, "Is Hand of Death on?" Yes, it is. There it is. You're a monster movie. All right. I, I, yeah, this is, uh, so I don't know, guys, how are we, are we, after all of this, are we recommending the people out there actually go and seek this movie out? Um, first of all, you can probably find it on YouTube for free. And if you just want to like, just to see the slasher tropes in action. Yeah, sure. If you ever wanted to see what a what a what a if somebody combined a 1950s monster movie with a 1960s beach blanket movie and then threw in a Scooby Doo plot, here you go. It it, it has its charms, but it also requires patience, and there's a good chance at times it might try yours. <laughs> <laughs> but again. But, 65 minutes, that's not that. Can I ask you two something? I'm, I, I want to go off on a tangent here for a moment. Why is it over the course of the past year or year and a half, there seems to be this rise in people going out of their way to be appreciative of shorter run times to the point where it's not even in appreciation. It's more just a method of throwing shade at movies that are, God forbid, longer than an hour and 40 minutes. Am, am I the only one who's okay with a two-hour-long runtime? Two and a half, it, God forbid. Three hours, the, sure. The problem <laughs> is the, the problem. The problem is the reverse problem. The reason that's getting so much it's because it's become the reverse of how you have this sixty-five-minute movie that's filled with so much pad. Now you have these two to three-hour movies that are just overstuffed. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't just have the movie with a plot. You also have to set up the sequel, the spinoff, the franchise. Here's some fan service. 
it's just it's kind of and it's become so common and overdone that they've now created a backlash. I'm okay with movies that are lean and you know very to the point. I get it. I'm cool with that. But I'm also you know as long as you keep me engaged the entire time, I'm fine with more movie in my movie. Well, and I I am I, too. I mean, oh sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'll just say real quick, I don't have a problem with a movie being long when there's actually a reason for it to be long. But so many of these movies are long because they're just putting stuff in it that doesn't need to be there. Can you do me a favor? Mm-hmm. Name one. Um, insert Avengers movie here. <laughs> oh, bullshit. <laughs> Avengers Age of Ultron. Okay, oh, all right. Okay, you want how about all three Hobbit movies? Well, okay, yeah, those movies were interminable. Um, God, they were... And I hate to say it. Look, I'm a Peter Jackson fan. I am. I adore the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Doesn't matter which cut you give me. Longer, shorter, it's all just masterpiece, right? Those Hobbit movies are fucking terrible. They are not good. They're not even impressive on a technical level, which I know is kind of like an assholeish thing to say, but it's just, there's a blandness to them. And there's just, it's, ah, I'm not going on a rant, but I, I have never seen such a, a, a disparity in quality between two different, you know, uh, 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 legs in a franchise directed by the same guy. Uh, maybe Lucas with prequels. I don't know, but it just, I don't know. I'm probably pissing people off out there because I know those movies have their fans, but it astonishes me how bad the Hobbit movies wound up being. The problem with the Hobbit movies is that it was going to be one movie, then it was going to be two movies, then Peter Jackson couldn't help himself and wanted to make it three movies, and nobody was in a position to say, Peter, no. Kind, I mean, kind of yeah, like I think had it. I think had it been one movie, three hours, it, and begs the question: How many times can a man, can a woman and a monkey on the top of a skyscraper stare at one another? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody do, always do, talks I about that like Peter Jackson King Kong. King Kong movie about how oh god the first hour goes on forever. To me, the ending went on forever. It was like just shoot the monkey and let him fall already. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, there's I, one moment. The planes come in, everything, the music, the drama, it all crescendos. This is the big moment. And then the planes just, oh, wait, there's a woman screaming, back off. All right, let's pad this. Let's just keep this going for another six minutes before we actually shoot and kill the monkey. Hold on. They have to stare at each other longingly again. Like, I, I, I like a lot of the, that Peter Jackson Kong movie, but it just like, I tried rewatching it, and it was virtually impossible because the first hour does go on forever. And then the ending goes on forever. And then he made a director's cut because apparently he said, no, no, there's more. And I want you to see it. Like, no, Peter. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. Paul, I think you were about to say, but yeah, if it had just been one movie, The Hobbit. I th- because here's the thing, like I, Lord of the Rings, three big books, three big movies. Yeah. The Hobbit. One tiny book, three big movies. Like it's it's stretched to the point of just it's it's utterly ridiculous. 
Yeah, yeah. See, and yeah, one one tiny book. Except, oh, hey, look, there's these little short stories in the back. And you know what? Hell, let's film the bibliography while we're at it. I mean, it was just. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very so, accurate. Speaking of real time, a moment ago we were talking. Like I, that scene, that first dinner table scene. They shot that damn dinner in real time. Why? And then, my God, that he shot it in what? Uh, uh, was it forty-eight frames or sixty frames? Uh, so that it had that weird sort of like motion smoothing effect that you get when you watch uh, 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 like made-for-television stuff from the BBC back in the eighties, or you know, uh, sports programs if they have the settings fucked up on your TVs. It just—I remember yeah. stepping into an auditorium. I was working in a movie theater at the time when the first one, whatever the hell it was called. Uh, came out and it, it was the it was such a big deal. Like the studio, like sent you know every theater, like you know its projectionist, this uh, you know big long letter signed by Peter Jackson. I'm sure facsimile uh, noting like what a huge step forward this was. And you know we had to we had to alter like we had to uh, download shit for each one of our digital projectors in order to be able to show the damn thing. And then it goes up and we all step in and slap the 3D glasses on and it's just like, I can't watch three hours of this. I would have a pounding fucking headache. Yeah. And I'm glad I'm glad that didn't take off. Uh, I yeah, know he tried too. it with the Hobbit trilogy. Uh, I uh, That was it, right? They were going to do it with Avatar, but I don't think it actually didn't went they up. did do it? What was that Will Smith movie where he oh. played like his younger self? I think that was in a higher frame rate too. Oh, yeah. Gemini Man. Yeah. yeah, Gemini Man. Yeah, still haven't seen it. Still, I, I was gonna say, we we still don't know what they're gonna what James Cameron's gonna do with the Avatar movies. It's true. It, it, it just feel like he's plotting something big that we're not we're not. I, there's been rumors that he's coming up with some new technology where you can watch a movie in 3D without having to wear the glasses. Mm, so that's I, just I. I don't, I don't know even know how, how you would do that. that, that it, would, that would require like all new projectors if that was the case. Yeah, and probably different types of screens. I remember when we uh before we went 3D, we had to install brand new screens. We had to take down all of the old like vinyl silver screens and put up like entirely new like screens that had like a different sort of uh, like reflective material uh in order to be able to properly show 3D movies. It was uh mm. it was ridiculous. So uh, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. Will here's the thing though: Are there going to be movie theaters by the time he finishes any of those Avatar <laughs> sequels? Oh, I, I, I suspect that it's all going to come roaring back. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I'm not predicting the end of anything yet. A lot I, of I don't. I don't think. I, I don't subscribe to the thought that theaters are going to go away entirely. I think. I think there will always be something like a theater. I mean, there, there's, there's always going to be an audience for it. There's people who will pay for it. it, it it'll always exist. Yeah, I think the, the theatrical yeah. windows though are definitely going to be, I remember that was a constant battle. Um, constantly hearing about it, you know, uh, sure. during my theater days was, uh, you know, studios always trying to shorten that theatrical window as much as possible. And, yeah. uh, you know, this, all of the, uh, the the theater chains would stand firm and say, we're not doing it. I uh, don't know if you remember, but the last um, uh, paranormal activity, was it the ghost dimension? 
when it came out, uh, it was opening uh, on VOD at the exact same time. For whatever reason, with that last movie, they decided to do day and date with it. And no theater in my area played it. I don't believe Cinemark played it anywhere. Uh, the local mom and pop didn't play it as a result of that. And I, I don't think the movie really did much. Uh, as no, a result, no, but now, no. now after now after we've gotten COVID and people have gotten used to uh, you know VOD and premiere showings and stuff like that. And given what a knock they've probably taken in the past year, I'm sure that when things get back to some semblance of normality. The, the studios are probably going to start playing hardball with the theaters and probably trying to shorten those windows down to like probably 30 days, which is nuts because that means that any movie that's a massive hit that has legs is not going to make any movie theater any money whatsoever if you can just watch the damn thing at home. Well, I, mm. I think I think, I think we're going to see a, the bigger, more expensive movies are going to be go back to being theater exclusives. And I think you're going to see something where there's like a timeshare thing with some of the smaller medium budget movies that are going to be on streaming or VOD uh, as well as you know, simultaneously with theaters. I think it's definitely going to change how things work, but yeah. uh, way, too, way too soon to predict the death of theaters. Although going back to your thing that you said a minute ago about, you know, about people complaining about movies being too long, my new favorite thing that I see people saying, it's like, Oh my God! How am I supposed to watch Godzilla vs Kong when the Snyder Cut comes out, and and so does Winter Soldier and, and uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and like like you like they talk like they can only watch one thing at a time. I keep seeing, <laughs> I, I see people saying people remember when uh, when Scorsese's um, uh, the Irishman came out, and people were like three and a half hours. I don't have time for that. Meanwhile, I have to go rewatch the last season of Game of Thrones so I can get ready for the <laughs> Thrones. That's such a good point. Yeah, like and that's the thing with the whole like length of things. Like I, I'm somebody that I, I really do appreciate a short movie, but in a way because like I like when a movie is tight and everything is necessary. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm against long. I don't look at a runtime and not watch it like I, when the Irishman came out I watched it immediately I was super excited for it I didn't care how long it was because I trust the filmmaker I, I trust that he's going to use that time wisely um, to Foy's point earlier in in big budget studio movies there's this growing trend of them being incredibly long these big blockbuster action films and when I see that I immediately assume that a lot of it's unnecessary that, that's also because apparently there's a mentality by a lot of producers in Hollywood that if it's short, that means people aren't going to show up for it. They they want they want people to feel like they're getting their money's worth, so it has to be a Bollywood length now. Which is and I and I agree with you, and I think you're right about that. But how crazy is it is you know that that's where we're at when back in the day movies would get chopped down arbitrarily. To make you know, to make the runtimes under two hours, so they could squeeze in more showings a day. Like, and and now they're cool with just you know, ah, three, three and a half hours. Sure. Do we need a five act movie that's damn near going to collapse under the weight of its own plot? 
Sure thing. <laughs> Go ahead and throw that out there. And what we're going to do, we're just going to ram the thing into three or four screens in every single auditorium, or they're not yeah. going to be able to carry our product uh, for the next six months, and they're going to miss out on every other blockbuster that's going to come out. I saw a lot of that shit happen uh, during my theater mm. days where – you know, a, a lot of smaller movies got pushed out because the bigger movies were like, look, you're you're showing our new movie on three or four screens. You're going to have this many showtimes. Uh, you're going to have this many 3D showtimes intermittently throughout the course of the day. And if you do not adhere to this, and this is not just theater by theater, this is chain by chain. If you don't adhere to this, then you don't get that big blockbuster that's coming three months down the line. You know, you're not going to get this or get that. And so it's just such a shitty thing that the theater chains and the movie bookers had to deal with from the studios who really kind of strong arm their way into success more often than not. And that's the thing, not so much when we talk about like, you know, Paul, you and I were talking about this before with like superhero movies. I, 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 I still think like mid range movies are being made. I think smaller movies are being made. I don't think those are necessarily being, or maybe they are in a way, but it's not that superhero movies are the only things that are going into theaters, but I do think just uh, not in the sense of them being made in the first place, but in how they were exhibited in theaters, how they would sort of shove out smaller project or product because they're simply, there, there are only so many screens, you know, in a lot of theaters, uh, you know, throughout the U S. So it, it's really hard if you have like your little 15, $20 million movie that you want to, you know, go into theaters. It probably wouldn't have had any trouble at all playing in the eighties or nineties, but you know, in the modern day, you're probably not going to be able to squeeze in because, yeah, Avengers is taking up four screens and that newest mm-hmm. Pixar movie is taking up three screens. And, you know, uh, the, the newest Fast and Furious is taking up another three screens. And, you know, it's funny, my local AMC, it, it's they have 20 screens and it, it's a weird mix where you have like three quarters of the theater screens are already accounted for by like three blockbuster movies. Yeah. And then they have a handful of like art house films, you know, or uh or smaller mid-range films. I just uh I, I'm very curious to see if that's gonna continue being the case, you know, once uh you know, if we can make it to the other side of this thing with theaters still intact. I do wish one of the things that I was expecting out of all of this, and now it seems to have quieted sort of down a bit, which is kind of a bummer. I really wanted to see drive-ins come roaring back. In a big way. I wanted to see people building drive-ins. I wanted to see drive-ins sort of, uh, you know, make a resurgence uh, to the degree that they would actually last beyond, you know, people being able to go back to uh, movie theaters proper. Yeah, it was it was cool seeing people go back to the drive-in and, and having them become relevant again in a, in a, in a meaningful way. I, I think my issue with drive-ins, and I'll just be totally honest... I like drive-ins, but I I don't love my first time viewing of a movie being at a drive-in, if that makes sense. Would, would it matter the type of movie? Like, if, if something that you well, saw was yeah. a straight-up grindhouse film? Sure. What if, if it was Beach Girls and the Monster? Oh, well, that would be <laughs> fine. Yeah, that would be fine. But, like, if I was going to go see something like, you well, I mean... I want to see Promising Young Woman at the drive-in. Right. Yeah. There, there's just, it's certain movies work for me at a drive-in and certain ones don't. So I don't know that it would be a, 
sort of an end-all be-all option. But I love drive-ins for repertory screenings and things like that. You know, going to see a classic movie or an action movie I've seen a hundred times. Like, I think a drive-in's a really fun place to to kind of view that. Would you watch all four and a half hours of the Snyder Cut at a (laughs) drive-in? Well, seeing as how I haven't watched the original cut, uh, I, I don't think I should watch the Snyder Cut yet. Or maybe I should just go straight or, to the Snyder Cut. Or I don't arguably know. you should only watch the Snyder Cut. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, going to say, I don't really have any sort of um, uh, uh, horse in that race. <laughs> I say, like, I'm I'm glad the guy, because, you know, what's so weird? Everyone goes on and on about how uh, how horrific, like, the, the Snyder fans can get. And certainly, I, I mean, I've seen evidence of it online when you when you speak ill of Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman, you know. The, the the bros come out or whatever. But honestly, personally, the worst I was ever treated over a Zack Snyder movie was me saying something positive about a Zack Snyder movie. And then some asshole came after me because he was just like, what are you, a fucking Snyder, bro? Blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, man, I'm I'm drunk. I don't have time for this. I'm, I'm fucking blocked. You know, but when it comes to stuff, like I'm not a rabid fan, I got to admit, boy, out of all the stuff that you mentioned a moment ago, um... What was it? Uh, Godzilla versus Kong, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and the Snyder Cut. Snyder. Yeah, I got to tell you, out of those three, like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna watch all three, uh, and it probably won't even take me that very long. But out of those three, uh, Snyder, Snyder Cut's coming last, you know. Um, but I do think, you know, given beyond all of that, like the fandom and you know the quality of the movies, which I, I don't like, Man of Steel, I think it fundamentally misunderstands the character. Uh, Batman versus Superman, the theatrical cut, is. Not good. Director's cut? Surprisingly okay. Um, but just the... I'm, I'm, the fact that he lost that movie because of like such a horrible personal tragedy, forgetting how much assholes like are, 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 you know, have defended that and pushed for it for the longest time, and now they're doing stupid shit like printing out stickers and slapping it on copies of... Uh, uh, Birds of Prey and Walmart and shit, you know, forgetting all of those guys, just looking at the filmmaker himself, the fact that he can come back and actually realize his vision, uh, you know, because he, he had to drop out of the movie because I believe his daughter committed suicide. Was it like, yeah, I just... you know what, you know what's funny about, I, I shouldn't say, I, I, I shouldn't say what's funny about that. That's the wrong phrasing. Uh, I was like what, thin what, ice boy, thin ice. <laughs> yeah. But what's really crazy about that is that, I remember when that news came out that he was dropping, he wasn't going to be able to finish the movie because his daughter committed suicide. And there were actually people like, yes, thank goodness. He's not going to be able to ruin this movie. I'm like, you're, yeah. you're happy. This man's child killed themselves. Yeah, that's, that's and, horrible. Then, and then, and, yeah. and then they were all so excited. Oh, Joss Whedon. Yes, this is going to be great. And now everybody hates Joss Whedon. <laughs> yeah. Boy, people, people turned on that dude quick. Yeah. He, well, he kind of me too himself. So, yeah. did he? I keep well, hearing that, but I haven't read anything that actually details anything like that happening. I know there was the thing that came out that he had like an affair or something like that, which was kind of uh, well. Then he made his wife like keep quiet about it and like sort of ruined her career on purpose and tried oh, to sort of that, keep I, her down. Yeah, he did a lot of bad shit. Okay, and and it's particularly upsetting because he always presented himself as such an ally. You know, and like his his shows and, you know, Buffy is is a show that a lot of um, that has a lot of like feminist leanings and things like that, that people can really get behind. It's very inclusive. 
Um, and a lot of the writers on Buffy are sort of heroes in that community. And then to hear that like Whedon actually wasn't really the person he presented himself as was like a pretty big blow, I think to the fandom that uh, kind of surrounded it. I mean, I, I, I'm not like super dialed into all that, but I was a pretty, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Buffy fan. I, I like Angel. I like a lot of what Whedon did. Um, I even like uh, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog cu- quite a bit. Oh, God, I um, love that. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty great. Um, so he, I, I think he's made a lot of really solid stuff. But yeah, I, I totally get why people turned on him or, or well, fell out of love with him so quickly when they kind of heard what he what happened. Now we need to get the director's cut of Free Jack released. <laughs> more, more director's cuts of things. We need, yeah, we need I'm, all the director's cuts. <laughs> if anybody knows what the hell I'm even talking about when I say Free Jack, apparently there was an original cut of that movie that bombed in test screenings because it was just too much action and not enough plot. And if you've uh, ever watched, it was Emilio it, Estevez, right? Yeah, the one with Nick Jack. And Anthony Hopkins. Anthony and Hopkins? Oh, yeah. Rene Russo, yeah. I believe. Yes, yes, because Emilio Estevez is a race car driver who is killed in an accident, but right before he dies, they zap him into the future because Anthony Hopkins has put his brain into a computer called the Spiritual Switchboard and plans to put his mind inside of Emilio Estevez's body because Emilio Estevez's uh, his fiance at the time, Rene Russo, who is now, I guess, supposed to be like in her 50s, but she looks exactly the same. Uh, is, uh, Anthony Hopkins' character, he, she works for his company and he's in love with her. So she wants to be, he wants to put himself in the body of her former fiance, but he gets loose and they call these escapees that the rich people try to put their brains in the bodies of Free Jacks. So he calls in uh, Mick Jagger, who leads a bunch of like bounty hunters who capture Free Jacks. And they're called Bone Jackers. And they just run around shooting at each other, and then they try to they, they try to take it take it. it it's not a good movie. <laughs> but it's one of those I kind of remember just because it's just nothing but Emilio Estevez getting chased for like two hours, and it doesn't have much of a plot. But apparently, there's another cut of the movie with even less plot. <laughs> <laughs> which is like the, the opposite of what you normally hear and I also always remember because I've seen a clip of Emilio Estevez like promoting the film on I don't remember what show it was I wish I could find this clip again where you can tell he knew this movie was kind of a dud he's like well you know if the movie don't work out I'll just move on to my next film like okay yeah that, that, really, that really makes you want to run out to the theater and see your new movie <laughs> Yikes! Yeah, I cannot. Uh, I I remember a little bit of that movie from when I was a kid, but I haven't seen it since. That was it was nearly thirty years ago. And everybody drives around in bubble cars. The, the most interesting factoid that I remember about that movie is they were shooting it in the same. I think they shot it in I don't know if it, Atlanta or Houston or where it was. Whatever it was, RoboCop three and Free Jack were filming in the same city at the same time, and there was a feud going on between the two productions. Because they were fighting for locations, <laughs> like fantastic. that sounds like, and, and that story alone sounds like it would make for a better movie than Free Jack or RoboCop Three. <laughs> RoboCop Three hurt. I'm not gonna lie. At uh, yeah, no, we don't need to get into RoboCop Three. Yeah, we need to talk about that. That's just uh, yeah. Also, let's not talk about the Empty Man. <laughs> 
Hey, 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 hey. I like the empty man. You enjoyed the 22-minute prologue followed by the the additional two hours of... I forget it. No, 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 no. No, it was not that long because I remember you on the year end episode that we did talking about how it was nearly two and a half or three hours long. It is not. It's two hours. It's two hours and 17 minutes long with 10 minutes of credits. That's a two hour and seven long, seven minute long movie. You, you take away the 20 minute opening sequence, which is a great short film in its own right. You have a normal sized movie for the bulk of it, which is what an hour and 47 minutes. It is not like this gargantuan... Have you not seen the movie? Or have you? Me? Yes. Uh, I gave up at the 55-minute mark when nothing had fucking happened. Did you really? God, I love that movie. I really did. I, I wound up buying all the damn uh, volumes of the comic book, to, uh, which, weirdly enough, I'm are... Sure. Uh, I'm sure the comic book is better. It, well, what's weird about it? I started reading it, and I was like... This is nothing like the movie that I saw. I swear, I'm um, I'm a bit into it, and I kind of like flipped through the first volume. I was like, is this ever going to get anything like the movie I watched? I swear, I think the movie is a prequel to the damn comic book series. Uh, usually, it works the other way around, but in this case, I think all of the events of the movie actually lead into the comic book series, which is... Uh, mm. Kind of crazy, which I'm not going to run for you because I don't think Paul has seen the movie and you haven't I, seen the ending. I of the haven't movie. seen it yet. No, I haven't. Haven't checked it out. <laughs> I dug it. I dug it a lot. It is a slow burn. It is for a fact, but uh, but never never uninteresting to me. Of the year. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been 65 minutes. Uh, it should have ended an act and a half in. It needed more go-go dancing. I was going to say, it needed more dance sequences. Every movie needs more go-go dancing. This is this is irrefutable fact. That's a fact. It needed a lion puppet. I don't know about that. <laughs> and the empty I, man... I made draw the line there. Yeah, that, that, that's what it needed. <laughs> All right, guys. I think we've just crossed the hour and a half long mark. We, we have now provided a feature-length commentary for a movie that isn't even remotely feature-length. <laughs> Uh, I remember when you said that, you was like, oh, let's do it in real time, like a commentary track. And I'm just like, you haven't watched this yet. You don't want to do this. <laughs> you were right. You were right. That's a fact. All right. Well, guys, I, I, I think we pretty much reached the end of this discussion on the Beach Girls and the Monster. Boy, since you are the guest, close this out. Do you have any final parting thoughts on this movie? No, I think I've said way more than anyone ever has about this movie. <laughs> so tune in next time when I'll explain to you how the brain from planet Eros is actually uh, the pre- the progenitor to the hidden. Oh, God. Okay, that I, sounds I, I really actually wouldn't mind yeah, listening to that. <laughs> All right, Foy, where can people uh, find you at online, and uh, what can they keep an eye out for from you in the future, other than Hold the uh, Stone Man episode? Mm-hmm. Hold on a second. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking up the word progenitor because I don't think I use that properly. <laughs> Not really. Well, maybe a little bit. That's debatable. Uh, the Stone Man. The Stone Man episode will happen when you look in your mirror three times and say my name, and I'll just appear with the Stone Man. <laughs> <laughs> like the Empty Man, except it's in a caveman costume and it throws a rubber club at you. Phenomenal. You know, you know, 
that episode happens, it's going to be the most amazing thing ever because you're just going to be sitting here saying, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I'm going to be explaining why I think it's actually a fascinating bad movie. And then Feeney, being a maniac, is probably going to argue that it's actually a good movie. No, you got it wrong. I'm going to be sitting there saying, (laughs) this is the worst movie I've ever seen. Again. (laughs) Got to sit through this thing not once, but twice. I will have devoted three hours of my life to, to, to what I equate to being cinematic torture. I, I, told, I, I joked with Feeney. It's like, you know what we should do? We should keep scheduling the thing so he has to watch the movie again, and then we cancel it the last second. <laughs> we okay. it. Then so we that would be fantastic. Three months I later, so that he has to watch it boy, again. Boy, understand this. There is a very small window for this to happen. If y'all miss, it's never happening. Sorry, Greg acid hypnosis, whatever, whoever you are on Twitter. I'm, I'm convinced that he is like this. It's just a Twitter account. That's jointly shared by you and Feeney to occasionally tweet about me watching the damn stone man. I, I have no idea who that guy is. I have no ties to him. I, even I'm not quite sure why that obsessed with the stone man. Maybe it's Steve from the Dread Central this. <laughs> yeah, this 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 is not a, this is not a joke. It's like if you go online, I think there's only like maybe three people who've actually ever written a review of that movie, and I'm one of them. And my <laughs> review isn't online anymore. Oh wow! And yet there are people out there who want to listen to us chat about it. Yes, about a movie that was clearly the, they never finished the post production when they put it out on disc. They just they just threw it out there with like unfinished, unprocessed film and time code. It's, All right, Arrow, it's your time. Put out the con yeah. cut of uh, the Stone Man. <laughs> now that seems more like a code red deal. Oh God, yeah. it does. It really code does. red scorpion. It's going to show up on Ronin flicks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some of the movies that are now getting announced for Blu-ray, it's just like, it's like, what? <laughs> it's like, in some cases, it's like, okay, cool. But in other cases, it's just like, you're going to have like, are you only pressing like 45 copies of this? Because <laughs> I'm not sure how many people are actually sitting there saying to themselves, yeah, that's that that's a movie we need. <laughs> I gotta add. I mean, I mean, I, the, I think the other week I posted something like you know about how uh, Adrenaline, Fear the Rush, and Lawnmower Man Two are getting Blu-rays, and I'm just like, they're just trolling Blu-ray collectors now. <laughs> they're yeah. just saying, "Will you dare?" <laughs> and out of those two, I would buy the Lawnmower Man Two, um, even and, though and it's you would just keep it on your shelf as like a, a thing that you'd never watch. Basically, yeah, because yeah. I uh, I revisited the franchise, uh, franchise such as it is. Um, it, okay, look, the thing is with that, I, I loved that movie when I was a kid, and then the director's cut came out, and it turned a what I thought was a fun movie into actually a pretty damn good film. I wait, remember wait, 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 wait. Before... Clarify the fact you're talking about the first Lawnmower oh, the Man. First one, the first one, the first one. Uh, when the second one was coming out, I remember it got all sorts of uh, ink in like various different sci-fi magazines that I read as a kid, like Cine Fantastique and uh, uh, God, I forget what else, like uh, Sci-Fi World or whatever the hell it was. Anyway, 
they all made the movie sound fucking fantastic. And I remember at one point they said, look, we're setting this up for to be a long-running franchise. You know, I can see down the line there being a Lawnmower Man 6. And I remember thinking, well, that's kind of cool. Missed it in theaters, caught it on VHS, and I can't really remember what my thoughts were at the time. Like, I don't know if I hated it or liked it or I'm just – it's kind of a blur. But um, about two years ago when I picked up the Scream Factory disc that has the director's cut of the original, you know – the, the the first movie I watched that again still love it still think it holds up it's uh, a, a, a damn solid movie I think I popped in a DVD it's like a double feature that has the first and second movie on it uh, I think only the theatrical of the first popped it in to watch the second movie I maybe got ten minutes into it maybe fifteen it was and here's the thing I'm not being hyperbolic here at all borderline unwatchable like there is no like whatever language filmmakers share you know is just completely alien to the person who made this movie it it, it blew my mind how ineptly put together it was wow and i and i will pick up that blu-ray so (laughs) i am part of the problem i am part of the problem i've never seen it so i don't know and then meanwhile, there's people online mad because Adrenaline Fear the Rush apparently will not be the European director's cut and oh, just no. be the original seven-minute version. And it's just like, guys, it really doesn't make that much of a difference with that movie. <laughs> <laughs> now, I never saw that one. That's Christopher Lambert and uh, is it Natasha Henstridge? Yes, the, yes. The Highlander and the Species Girl in a movie that has virtually no plot. It's just, It's just... <laughs> It's just Albert Payune trying to be clever with action shots, but it's just, it's, it, it, as you said, you get 10 minutes into it and this thing's unwatchable. I did not it, realize it was him directing it, though, and he's done some good stuff back in the day. Yeah, and this was not one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're in a, I, I don't even quite remember, it's like they're in like an abandoned subway tunnel in the future, and th- there's like a mutant creature, and it's shooting at them or something like that. I don't think they ever fully explain. Supposedly the European cut has like a plot because I assure you this movie has no plot. And it's like, I don't even believe adding like, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of story and character is going to make any difference. It's like you, you, you could have the, you could have the Natasha Henstridge is naked for the whole movie cut of the film, and it would probably still be unwatchable. Uh, <laughs> You could have the version where Christopher Lambert is playing a Highlander trying to decapitate this mutant, and it wouldn't make a difference. I don't know that I could agree with that. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) You see what you did? You see what you did? You see what your curse is that you inflict upon other people? Now I have to go watch Adrenaline. Well, wait a minute. So, so I made it sound enticing by making up fake cuts of the movie that don't exist. Yes, yes, you did. That <laughs> yes, is what you did. Bear does not play a Highlander, and Natasha Henstridge doesn't get naked. But the thought of that possibly happening now, I got to see this movie. That is one of the worst things ever. Well, not only that, but I guess after that disappoints me, I'm going to have to track down the damn European cut. Yeah, go for that. Those extra few minutes make a difference. Sometimes they do. I, yeah, I, I saw the original Russian DVD release of Highlander the Source. Oh, I did too. Yes, and let me assure you, the American cut did not make much improvement. 
They, they didn't oh, even, they, the they, they didn't even, yeah, they didn't even polish a turd on that one. They just removed a few of the peanuts. That's all oh, they did. God. All right. The conversation has gone full scatological. I think that's our, <laughs> our signal that we need to go ahead and wrap this up. Foy, thank you so much for coming on, as always. Thanks for choosing such an interesting movie to talk about, and especially with such a neat theory. I, I, I think if uh, listeners out there are even kind of remotely interested in it, I, I, I'd say they'd be well served to go ahead and seek the movie out and give it a shot. It's a it's a fun hour, I would say. So, uh, yeah, Paul, where can folks find yes, you at online? Uh, I am at the always modest Paul is great two thousand Twitter handle, uh, where you can find me and and tweet at me about uh, movies and stuff. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're, it's very exciting. You know, we're not drinking tonight. It's I don't know why, you know, since this isn't a hammer pub, I'm being a teetotaler. Probably needed to drink during this episode more than any other given the movie we were discussing. <laughs> it would have it would have made sense, but but I don't well, it happens. <laughs> All right. And now, uh before we go, do you want to go ahead and tease folks on what uh next week's episode is going to be? Uh yeah, we're uh going to be delving back into the world of Christopher Lee's uh, maniacal villain uh, that Hammer is so renowned for uh, a, a Dracula movie. Yeah, it's it's we're we're going back into the Dracula universe. Oh, I'm disappointed. I thought you were going to say we we're going to talk about his villain from the Return of Captain Invincible. No, we, that that was a close second, but uh, but we're heading does, back to the the, does, the does, Castle does the Dracula. Does the camera Dracula ever sing a do a musical number singing the praises of booze? He doesn't, and I kind of wish he did. Yeah, now <laughs> that's going to be disappointing. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited. And this is a movie that Jinx is not a huge fan of, I don't think, right? Nope, but I'm hoping the rewatch, I, I find something different in it. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll see. So, It'll be anyway. interesting. That I still think, next... think you, you guys need to get hammered to watch good Hammer movies, but you stayed sober for Beach Girls and the Monster. Yeah, it's it was a miscalculation. It, it, it wasn't the greatest. It wasn't our proudest moment. Let's let's put it that way. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up, folks. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below, scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That is at Scream Addicts, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend.